I don't think it's too soon to talk about him in the Heisman race. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Polson joining you tonight for another game week edition of the Mainline Podcast. Oklahoma fresh off a 52-31 win on Saturday night over Gary Patterson and the TCU Horned Frogs. Oklahoma stays undefeated, improving to 7-0 on the year, 3-0 in Big 12 play, and now they've got a bye this upcoming Saturday. Well, actually, they play Kansas, so Adam, it's kind of a bye week. Yeah, I mean, everyone overlooks them, and... I, I almost like I'm like knock on wood, I guess, at this point, because it's almost just a given. But yeah, I don't know how much we're going to learn on Saturday. Hey, listen, if you followed my cue all year long, go against the points in the Jayhawks like it's easy money. So I like I like Kansas. They do me favors. Well, I mean, Oklahoma has covered two weeks in a row after starting out 0-4. So who knows? Maybe we're on a bit of a hot streak. We'll touch on that a little bit later in beers and bets. But um Guys, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's 7-0, and probably the craziest. I, I can't believe that we are 7-0. and It's definitely been kind of a tale of um, two halves, I guess two different halves start of the season. You know, OU started the year out 5-0 and um, going into Texas, not playing their best football. First half against Texas was a, was kind of a doozy. We make the change over to, over to Caleb Williams. He brings us back, and then there was so much excitement, so much, in, so much anticipation, so many different things that went on last week. Um, Lincoln was kind of fitting – uh, kind of feeding you know a few teasers out to the media to the fan base and then adam you and i were sitting on the sidelines an hour before pregame we wanted to get in there sooner we wanted to see how warm-ups how the reps were split and here we go spencer rattlers warming up with andrew Reigns. spencer rattlers taking 90 percent of the first team reps and warm-ups and we thought surely there's no way that lincoln's gonna actually do this right and then once the introduction started playing on the video board boy was there a loud ovation yeah, he really fooled Gary Patterson, right? Gary had no clue that that was coming. I mean, come on. Lincoln can play silly games like that, but everybody knew Caleb was going to play the entire game. But I think what was more interesting was the fact that Spencer Radler, um, just watching him on the sideline, his body language, the way he interacted with teammates, um, and then re-watching it on TV as well, seeing the way he interacted you know, with Lincoln, with Caleb, with other guys – Obviously, you know, he has probably some good reasons to dislike Caleb Williams. He took his job, but I thought all things considered, I was really impressed with uh, with him on Saturday, the way he was was interacting with everybody. So that was really encouraging to see. But just the fact that he had his ball cap on and it looked like he had no intention or well, I'm sure he wanted to play, but I'm sure he knew there was no intention of him getting in there um, with regular reps. So that was interesting. What was amazing, guys, I know you obviously couldn't see it, but when Lincoln was interviewed right before halftime, uh, he did say the competition was close uh, heading into uh, into, the, <laughs> into the weekend. I did notice Spencer as well. I think at the beginning he had really solid body language, but as you could tell as the game went on and that offense kept scoring and scoring and scoring, when the team would run off the field after a scoring drive, he became less and less prevalent mm-hmm. as like being one of the first people to come up to the team. Thought that was a little bit interesting. Maybe I'm – Listen, the kid's going through hell right now, right? Like, this sucks for him. We can all agree with that. But you can tell he knew the spotlight was on him. But at some point, it, it's got to be just discouraging. The offense was doing what it was doing on Saturday with him up, him not at the helm. Well, it almost kind of seemed like he might have had a come-to-Jesus meeting, like having to come to grips with the fact that I can't act like a prima donna. I know that the spotlight, even though Caleb is starting, 
the spotlight is going to be on me. The cameras are going to pan to me after every single thing that that Caleb does. So, you know, I've got to look like a team first guy, which by all indications, what we've heard from Lincoln, you know, he is a team first guy. I mean, he, you know, he, he took his medicine. He's not starting quarterback anymore. Um, chances are he's probably played his final meaningful snap uh, at the quarterback position at OU. So, um, we'll, we'll, you know, definitely be interested to see how that pans out. But guys, I mean, Caleb Williams, 18 to 23, 295 yards, four passing touchdowns, should have had five, um, and then nine rushes for 81 yards. So this dude in his first career start on primetime national television, 376 total yards, five touchdowns. And guys, for the first time all season, I felt like I was watching an OU game. Oklahoma's offense looked like Oklahoma's offense for four quarters, playing with tempo surgically. They picked TCU's defense apart. And the biggest thing for me, guys, they started fast, jumping out to a 14-0 lead, scoring on their first two possessions. That's what OU's offense has looked like in the past four to five years um, at the quarterback position. And uh, OU came out swinging in the first half on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, just the dynamic difference that he provides um, with his legs where he doesn't even have to run to make a difference. But I'm more impressed with what he's doing through the passing game. He is throwing the ball down the field way more than Spencer ever did it. Um, and now we're utilizing some guys like you know Mike Woods and Mims to a lot uh, bigger extent. Um, and so I, I'm just really you know impressed with what he's able to do just holistically for everybody on offense. Um, and it, you're right, it does look like a Lincoln Riley offense finally. Yeah, you got to fix the underthrows, right? He had about three or four on Saturday. I think that's just a timing issue, right? Like it's going to take a few weeks to get all the timing out with the receivers. But what on three of the four underthrows? Three of them were pass interference, um, you know, and, and the fourth one probably should have been, if I remember correctly, watching right. So, yeah, those will come with times. But, guys, I mean, he didn't fumble a snap this week. So there it takes the easy, you know, thing that you can point on him. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to, hard to find a fault in anything he did Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he definitely unlocked the box in terms of the big plays. I mean, OU averaged 9.1 yards per play. That was the best offensive output so far this season. And then, guys, just going back through the drive th- drive chart, you look at it, Kenny Brooks, 32-yard rush, uh, rush. Mike Woods, 39-yard catch. Trayvon West, 35. Marvin Mims, 41. Mike Woods, who I thought had his best game uh, in an Oklahoma uniform, he had a couple you know, really long, outstanding plays. So Caleb's impact, giving guys a chance to make explosive plays, Hazelwood, Mims, Mike Woods have looked like different guys since Lincoln made the change at the quarterback position. And um, I mean, I know he's only played six quarters of football, but I'm very, very excited about what the, you know, what the future looks like, not just for this season, but the fact that we're going to have Caleb for two more years after this. Pretty exciting times, not just for OU fans, but also for the players in that program, the coaches, and also the recruiting impact that that's going to have as well. Yeah, and I feel like we're headed to a direction where probably Eric Gray and Jaden Hazel would come back next year. I think if you had asked any of us before the season started, this was their last year in college, they were going to go pro or something terrible was going to happen and they were going to be transferring at that point. But um, it seems like a lot of talent will be coming back next year offensively. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I would really love to win the national championship this year. I, we'll talk about that a little bit later, the path, the potential there. Um, but I think it's it's pretty exciting seeing so much potential and guys that um, maybe are just now getting started, but still need to prove a lot going into next year. So um, I think there's a, there's a lot of optimism here starting to look like a, an OU team of old, although some of that's on the negative side considering the defense. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, everything heading in the right direction. Our first, I think, win over an FBS opponent uh, by more than one score. So as much as there were concerns about the defense, it was kind of almost compared to other games this year, a little bit of a snoozer in that we weren't really stressed out in the fourth quarter. 
Yeah, it's an interesting thought process there on the, the whole tra- uh, not transfer, but the guys leaving early potentially for the NFL draft. I think of Eric Gray and Hazelwood because now you have a proven commodity that's coming back at the quarterback position, right? I think all of us believe Caleb could be very, very talented, but now you're actually getting to see that on the football field, which certainly helps with those guys. If those guys aren't, you know, a day one, early day two trap draft pick, now you get to come back with that quarterback. That becomes a selling point um, for Lincoln Riley and this whole staff to come back, play under this guy, have a better year under your belt, um, which certainly now is, is, is a, you know, up for a game and a half is a proven fact to where, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a Spencer Rattler would have played the way we all had hoped he had this year. That's a hypothetical. Um, so I think that's a great point by you, Adam. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a casual college football fan and you watched Oklahoma play, maybe you didn't know the storyline behind the Rattler Caleb quarterback controversy. If you watched that TCU game, you would have thought that, you know, Caleb Williams, that's a veteran quarterback with multiple years of experience under his belt who might be the best player in college football. And guys, it was kind of funny. We saw it on uh, social media during the broadcast and going back and rewatching the game last night, Herb Street brought it up that we might have to start thinking about putting Caleb Williams name in the Heisman conversation. Now, do I think he's going to win the Heisman? I don't know. He's played six quarters of football as a starting quarterback. He missed the first seven weeks of the year. I know everyone is excited, but hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit on this. Um, One thing that I think is really going to help Caleb's case, though, is the fact that he's the most talked about player in college football right now. And on top of that, nobody else has really emerged as the front runner. Yes, we think we know who's going to be in New York. Bryce Young, sure. C.J. Stroud has put up phenomenal numbers since their loss to Oregon. And guys, Matt Corral, while he may be the best quarterback in the country right now, chances are he's playing for an Ole Miss team that's going to finish with three to four losses on the year. So two weeks ago, I would have said B. John Robinson was probably the front runner. But hey, you know, Texas is four and three. Looking at the rest of their schedule, chances are they might lose one or two more games. So Caleb is going to put up crazy numbers the next couple of weeks at Kansas this weekend, Texas Tech at home. And I think for the final three weeks of the season is where he's going to have a chance to kind of cement his case where he's going to be going up against three of the top defenses, probably the best defenses in the Big 12 with with well-known premier defensive coordinators, Dave Aranda at Baylor, uh, Jim Knowles at, at uh, Oklahoma State, John Heacock at Iowa State that, you know, uh, Heacock, he's given you know Lincoln Fitz seems like the last two to three years. So if OU wins out and Caleb looks good doing it, then it will be very hard to at least keep him out of an invite to New York City. So when you factor in how much better Oklahoma has played offensively and how much different this team looks, not just on offense, but a complete all-around team compared to the first five games of the year, if Caleb Williams plays really well the rest of the season, I think you've got to at least give him an invite. It's a double-edged sword with some of those teams down the stretch, right? Because right now you're seeing Caleb Williams in all his glory. But let's be honest, there's no film on Caleb Williams right now. Those those three teams at the end of the year will have enough film to make things difficult on him. We're really going to see what this gets made of. Um, I don't want to say this is necessarily fool's gold or anything like that because I believe in the kid. But right now, these defensive coordinators, you have no doubt they're already watching game film of him. And by a month from now, I think they'll have some plans in place to give him trouble. Now, we wonder that same thing about TCU and Gary Patterson, obviously a defensive-minded guy. Everything worked out just fine on the offensive side of the ball this weekend. But give give some of those names you just mentioned, Tyler. Give them a few weeks to, to watch this kid a little bit more, and things might be a little bit different. We'll, we'll find out. Hopefully not. I guess one of the things that's interesting to me, and Adam, throw this over to you, you know, there was a ton of film on Baker. There was a ton of film on Kyler. 
and as talented as those two guys were and as much skill talent as there was uh, around those guys, the offensive line was playing really, really well. We're starting to see Beanbow's group take a step. They played well the last two weeks. So if Caleb you know, has that it factor, if he is that special guy, then it may not matter. Yeah, and I would counter that by saying, yeah, those defensive coordinators are going to have a few weeks of film now. But at the same time, Lincoln Riley is going to have a few more weeks of starters reps in practice for Caleb Williams to implement a lot more plays, a lot more wrinkles, um, things that those guys haven't seen. And so um, I don't think it's too soon to talk about them in the Heisman race. I mean, winning it, yeah, that's going to be really tough because there are going to be voters out there. We know there are tons of voters that really don't watch the games. They just look at the stat lines. And so there, there may be some people out there by principle that won't even include him on their ballot because he didn't even play a full year. But the fact that you can't really name who the front runner is, here we are October 19th, and we have no idea who the front runner is. You know, I might have a different top three than Corbin does, than Tyler does. It could be, it's just totally wide open right now, and no one's really taking the reins. I mean, Georgia's not going to have anybody um, that, that goes there. Bama has Bryce Young, but I don't know. People aren't super high on him at this point. So it is Mm -hmm. very much wide open. And Caleb Williams is the most exciting storyline out there in college football, honestly. And he has the benefit of not only being really good and and making some real highlight plays, but he has the stark contrast of what this offense looked like with Spencer Rattler to compare everything he does from this point forward. So it's kind of a win-win situation for him. You know, guys, one thing I wanted to pick your brain on, uh, obviously looking into obviously the Kansas week, we expect starters to hawk on wood, hopefully not be in too long. I'm very curious to get hear your thoughts on, will Spencer Rattler play against Kansas? In the depth chart, it makes sense that he would get significant time against the Jayhawks. With some of the attitude questions and kind of me before team questions that have been expressed about Spencer. Is there a scenario where Spencer doesn't play against Kansas? Well, Lincoln gave the entire team Monday off. So that cancer is really spreading. uh, You could say, (laughs) but, um, but no, I mean, come on, if Spencer's a real competitor, he's going to want to get out there, even if it's with the backups Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, like, I still want to prove that, you know, I am just as good. Maybe I was just having a, a, a rough stretch of games there or, Maybe it's just to say, hey, let's put up some good tape before I go transfer or somewhere else. But he has a lot he wants to prove. And if he doesn't play or, or chooses not to play or allows Lincoln to override um, you know, him in wanting to go out there, that's going to be concerns, I think, going forward, whether he's at OU or somewhere else. I think you hit the nail on the head, Adam. I mean, as a competitor, even though you are the second string guy, even though you are number two on the depth chart right now, if you're a competitor, you want to play doesn't really matter the game situation. You want to get out there, showcase your abilities. And one thing that I think, you know, Lincoln touched on earlier today, Spencer Rattler's one play away from being reinserted into the starting lineup as a starting quarterback at Oklahoma. So you want to keep him sharp. Yes, it's Kansas. Yes, they're a non-competitive football team. They're not they shouldn't be able to pose any problems to OU on Saturday, but you want to keep Spencer sharp. You want to keep him engaged, keep the rust knocked off of him and I mean I would ideally in a perfect world, I would like to see Caleb Williams only play the first half, maybe give Spencer the third quarter. And then let's see what Ralph Rucker can do. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he's paid his dues. He's put, he's put in the work in the off season. You know, we've heard a lot of really good things about him running the scout team. So um, let's see uh, what Ralph Rucker can do. It shouldn't happen in this game because it's Kansas, but, and I, I'm not wishing injury on Caleb Williams, but I would love for Spencer Rattler to kind of have a redemption moment at some point before he leaves OU 
um, whether that's, you know, coming in spot duty or maybe it's something where, um, you know, it's a trick play. Lincoln's got both guys on the field. I would love just to have a redemption moment for him so he can go out on, on really good terms rather than kind of the sour taste that he, uh, I guess, is in everybody's mouth on that. Because, I mean, I, would, I want him to be successful wherever he ends up um, or if he decides to stick it out here. Seems like a long shot for that, but um, mm-hmm. still want to be successful somewhere. Corbin, to flip it over to the other side of the football, obviously defense. You kind of we kind of walked out of the stadium on Saturday, kind of you know shaking our head, especially um, with the, the lack of the pass rush, the the kind of the poor play on the back end. Yes, we'll get to the injuries, and OU's down quite a few defensive backs in you know uh, in that game, and hopefully we'll be getting some here uh, as we move closer and closer towards the the final stretch of the season, but. Um, watching Herb Street and Fowler call this game and having the replays and Herbie's clicker that he does such a good job of, what were kind of your impressions on how the defense played and some areas that kind of stuck out to you? I mean, guys, obviously you were left wanting more, to say the least. And as you said, Tyler, you can't take away the fact that the secondary in particular right now is pretty thin. Um, going back to your original point about you know seeing this OU team and kind of reminiscing about what we're traditionally seeing, we saw the same on defense, um, giving up big plays, explosive plays. It seemed like guys were just running wide open far too often. And then when there was a chance for a play to be made, um, you know, cornerbacks were getting mossed basically throughout the entire game. I know there's only one or two, but, you know, specifically Billy Bowman and Josh Eaton on the, the touchdown play, both of them touchdown plays. So there was definitely um, a lot there to be desired. I'm not necessarily – down on Billy Bowman, you know, having to switch mid-game to a cornerback position, giving up a few plays. I think that's to be expected from a true freshman. But, guys, one thing that stuck out to me as I was kind of looking through the some of the game, game notes uh, afterwards, I'm kind of curious if you guys think this was inevitable. And here's why I'm asking that. So let's just take a quick look at thinking through what took place for West Virginia, Nebraska, some of these early games, the super long drives that we put together in comparison to let's go through TCU, touchdown drive, three minutes long. Um, a missed field goal took three minutes. A field goal took two and a half minutes. Um, we had one drive, granted it was a punt, but it was a minute and a half. A touchdown that was a minute and a half. Go to the second half, a minute and a half drive, a minute 40 drive, two minute drive. You just keep going on and they're all like that. Is is Was this whole process of the defense giving up this amount of points, was it at the end of the day inevitable if the offense was going to perform like this? I mean, I guess, yeah, it was going to, I think, start showing some of the glaring issues with the defense because we saw in the West Virginia and the Nebraska game where the defense just got dragged down the field, essentially. And even though, you know, they gave up 13 points or, you know, 16 points or whatever to those teams, they just took all their time scoring on one drive. And so, um, you know, one of the accounts that we like to retweet a lot is at KSU underscore fan. And they put out some really good stats on like points per drive. OU ranks sixth in the big 12 going up 2.4 points per drive. And I think now that the pace of the offense has picked up, that's starting to show. in the fact that, um, yeah, the defense is, is not nearly as good as what we looked at, but on the flip side, allowing the offense to move faster because we are number one in the conference at scoring 3.64 points per drive. That's where you start seeing some bigger margins. So maybe you win some games 52 to 31, like you did Saturday versus a 23 to 16 against Nebraska. So you do get a a bigger margin of victory because we know our offense can score at a higher points per drive, but yeah, the defense looks worse in the process. 
I would much rather our offense find their find their groove and get back on track. The fact that they are scoring 40 and 50 points a game, I mean, it's definitely more entertaining as a fan base. And, you know, guys, Alex Grinch in the offseason, you know, preached on the fact that this is the most, you know, this is the deepest defense that we've had at, at Oklahoma. So even though we are scoring 40 to 50 points and we're getting more possessions, the defense should still be playing at a high level. Now, I'm not quite ready to, to press the panic button because, like you said, even though we did score 50 points, we gave up 31, but we're also missing a ton of guys. So that depth is not there at the moment right now. And, you know, Corbin, just looking at the guys that are injured, Woody Washington's out, DTY, DJ Graham left running in that game, Jeremiah Cradell. I mean, we were playing Billy Bowman at, at cornerback. He hasn't played corner all year and played corner since high school. So, um, you know. What's uh, what better way to make your first start at uh, in college football than having to go up against Quentin Johnson, probably one of the best, if not the best, receiver in the Big Twelve? But guys, for me, I mean, missed tackles at the line of scrimmage, especially guys not wrapping up, and then lost in coverage. We see it time and time again. It's one thing if you if your guys get beat off the line of scrimmage, or you know, you just get beat at the point of the catch, like we saw, you know, Eaton and Bowman get done to time and time again. That's football. That's going to happen, but. Guys, we saw more than a handful of times in this game where TCU was catching the ball and Oklahoma didn't even have a defender within 10 yards of them. So you've got too many guys running free, too many busted coverages. I know we've got four or five guys out in the secondary, but if you're playing sound fundamental football, you know, you're you're reading your keys, you know your assignment, you're where you're supposed to be, you shouldn't be having guys running free in the secondary. No matter how talented you are, it's still Oklahoma. You should still have guys like uh, in position to make a play. You know, guys, if I'm an opposing quarterback to this team over the next few weeks, my, my number one goal is to figure out a way to get quote-unquote injured uh, before playing OU because it basically seems like if, if you have any sort of injury as an opposing quarterback, you're going to have a day. Skyler Thompson sounded like he was in a wheelchair rolling out on the field and he ends up, you know, having a day against us. And then Max Duggan has got like a broken bone in his foot or something that he's playing through. He goes out there and throws for 346 yards. So that's my goal. If I'm a Kansas or if I'm a tech QB, go out and get injured over the next, you know, week and a half. And, uh, you know, you'll have a, a huge day against the Sooners. Our defense has definitely struggled the last couple of weeks, no doubt about it, but I'm not quite pressing the panic button. Like we're seeing a lot of people on message boards and a lot of guys on social media, we talked in the preseason about how we thought OU's schedule shapes up really nice for them, even with the bye week not coming until week 10. And guys, I think these next three weeks have a chance to really set Oklahoma up well for that final three-game stretch at Baylor, Iowa State, at OSU. That three-game stretch to me has kind of the makings of what we saw back in 2000 with Red October, where OU had to face Texas, K-State, and Nebraska in back-to-back-to-back weeks. So starting with this weekend, OU has to go to Kansas, 11 a.m. in Lawrence. We know it's kind of hard to get up for Kansas altogether, but on the road, early morning kickoff, OU should still win that game. And if I'm Coach Riley, I'm looking at it like this. You've got Texas Tech, Kansas, and a bye week. You've got three – you've got the next upcoming three weeks essentially to get your young guys some reps, especially on the defensive side of the football – DTY does not need to play this game. Josh Eaton, Latrell McCutcheon, in my opinion, start those two guys. Give those young guys some reps. Bryson Washington's another guy. Get him out there. Get him some confidence. Add that depth when you've got kind of the added bonus of playing in fear of competition the next two weeks. And, you know, you have three weeks to get healthy and back to full strength. DTY, Graham, Woody Washington, and Jalen Redmond. Don't forget Jalen Redmond. That's a guy that is a pivotal pivotal guy in this defense, a big contributor. All four are not just starters that I just mentioned, but they're key contributors, and they they're, they go a long way in making this defense go. So what OU does in the next three weeks, I think is going to shape the way they handle the final three weeks of the season. 
Agreed. And I think it's a little bit of uh, maybe wa- uh, crawl before you can walk. Um, you know, just make the tackles, be in the position and not 10 yards away from your receiver. But I would like to see a lot more turnovers uh, from this team. We've really had two game-changing turnovers, one against K-State, one on special teams against Texas. The one on Saturday ended up being um, – no, no effect essentially because Deshaun White doesn't know how to hold onto the ball. <laughs> I mean, he's not a ball carrier, so you can't blame him. But, um, but yeah, that really just uh, killed the momentum of all that. So, um, certainly some some room for improvement. Well, let's move on to stock up, stock down. Um, obviously, you guys can pick an offense or defensive player here. Let's kind of put a bow on OUTCU. So, Corbin, starting with you, man. Give me one. Give me one or two guys on stock up that you liked what you saw from on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, outside of Caleb Williams and Jaden Hazelwood, I actually, you know, give the dude credit. Swinson, you have to start giving credit where credit's due. He walks out there not playing tackle all year long and actually does like a half-decent job. I know he's kind of the guy we love to throw into the bus after the past few seasons, but he came in and I won't say necessarily crunch time, but in time that we needed him to play well, and he did a relatively good job. So Mm -hmm. for as much crap as we put on uh, Eric Swinson over the past few seasons, kind of have to, you know, give him the tip of the cap uh, after the TCU game. My stock up has got to be Eric Gray. Not a very impressive stat line. I think he had six carries for 11 yards and one touchdown, but he got off the snide with that one touchdown. Um, he hadn't scored one all year. He'd been tackled at the one yard quite a few times, but also at the same time, we saw a couple of plays with two back sets in the backfield. And so the addition of Marcus Major coming back, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities for Eric Gray to get out there and do a few more things. Obviously, Caleb Williams helps out a lot with that, too. But um, I just think uh, he's going to start getting a, a little bit more of a role as we go through the rest of this year. Um, now that we kind of know who everybody is, we know Kennedy Brooks is the workhorse. Now we can kind of fit in Eric Gray behind him nicely. So uh, give me some stock up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely go Gray, you know, Hazelwood, Caleb Williams. But for me, I'm going to go Mike Woods in this, situ- in this, uh, this case. Um, he's a guy that coming out of Arkansas – expected a lot of really good things from you know his highlight tape is ridiculous so I guess he has you know he has a really good relationship with Caleb you can kind of tell his routes are running really crisp Caleb is giving him a chance to actually make plays in the passing game so um, I thought that he played extremely well had two really big impact plays long uh, not just you know long receptions down the field but also once he catches the ball doing something CDS where he's able to turn a 15-yard reception into a 50-yard gain so liked what I saw from Mike Woods Uh, a big guy uh, to expect a lot of good things from moving forward. So on the flip side, Adam stock down, who you got, I'm going with the entire defensive line. Um, They have been good this year, but we need them to be great. And the problem is the two best offensive lines. I think they've faced this year in K state and TCU. They really haven't gotten to the quarterback very much. And both those quarterbacks, like we mentioned, uh, basically came out on stretchers onto the field injured. So, um, yeah, they, they needed to do a lot more, and they really just couldn't get there. And so mm-hmm. that's okay when you're playing TCU. But when we're in the playoffs, we're only going to be facing pretty much you know great offensive lines at that point. They need to be at a much higher level. And I think some of that is coaching and rotations a little bit and tightening that up. But – yeah, we need to see a, a lot more force there because, I mean, look around. Like, the linebackers haven't been great this year. The secondary's been shuffling through guys. Like, the defensive line has to step up and say, hey, it doesn't matter who is behind us. We're going to just take over this game, and we're not going to let it be reliant upon someone not having enough experience at corner. Yeah, I want to step further. I said the entire defense. Um, it, it did start and finish with the defensive line, and there's no doubt about that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, there wasn't a whole lot to be proud of at the end of the day with that that defense as a whole. 
I guess just to make it a little bit different, I did have Gabe Burkich down as a stock down. The dude is human. He missed a field goal. You have to <laughs> take that as a stock down. Uh, understanding, you know, we obviously have perfect expectations for him and he hit the damn upright. So, you know, hopefully that's not a sign of things to come, but he bounced back nicely after that and had, a, I think, one more field goal to by the end of the game, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, so right back on track for him, but the dude's human. Who knew? Yeah, I'm echoing your sentiments, Adam. It's a defensive line for me and the inability to get pressure with rushing just four guys. And, you know, we t- we heard it all offseason about how the, the defensive line was going to be, you know, the driving force of this football team. That was the best position group. And in all honesty, it kind of seemed like the 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 defensive court, the defensive coaches especially were were needing this defensive line to be a lead because it kind of hides some deficiencies that we've seen in the back end of this defense. So one thing that I think, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not pressing the panic button because I think one of the reasons it gives me hope for optimism is the fact that this defensive line hasn't been as good as a whole since we lost Jalen Redmond. And the fact that he's going to be back in the next one to two weeks, you can slide Isaiah Thomas back outside where he's more uh, more equipped to, to take on those tackles. Uh, I'm going to go defensive line, but I'm I'm very optimistic considering we've got Jalen Redmond coming back. Yeah. So the team as a whole, I think we can all agree, is kind of headed in the right direction. So it is a, a little bit of a time we take a step back, maybe take a look at the national perspective, maybe potential postseason uh, games. And so... Uh, we actually went to Twitter earlier today to get everyone's perspective on who they would most like to see in a rematch scenario in the Big 12 championship game. Of course, OU still got a few games to you know lock that that berth up, but uh, kind of some interesting results here. 57% of people wanted to see OSU two weeks in a row uh, for a Bedlam rematch. Texas was next at 25%, Baylor at 14%, and then Iowa State. Nobody wants to see them twice in the same year. Only 4% of the votes there. So I'll throw this to Corbin first. Do you agree or, or who would you most like to see there? That's really tough because obviously I think all of these teams have had uh, mixed performance throughout the year so far to say the least. Um, and so I think we'll learn a lot more about them specifically, obviously Oklahoma state going up to Ames this weekend, uh, next weekend, I was taking a quick look at the schedule. You've got Texas going at Baylor, uh, coming off a of bye week. So that's going to be really interesting as well. So a lot of games coming up, that's going to shuffle all this stuff out, but guys, I mean, with the success that we've had with Oklahoma state, it's hard not to take your chances of the, those three. It's hard not to take your chances wanting to play them twice in a row. Um, I just don't think they're that great of a matchup for us. Uh, so if I had to choose of the three based on what I've seen so far, I'd rather take our chance with the folks twice in a row. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's gotta be Oklahoma state. I mean, you know, if Oklahoma state, you know, Corbin, you're exactly right. If they can go on the road and beat the Cyclones and aim this weekend, they are sitting really, really pretty in terms of their chase to make it to Arlington to, you know, to be one of those top two seeds in the conference championship game. They've already beaten Iowa state, Texas, Kansas state and Baylor. So even if they drop the Bedlam game and maybe one more, they would still have the tiebreaker over Iowa State, Texas, and Baylor. So I guess as an OU fan, I would most likely want to play Oklahoma State in back-to-back weeks. Maybe that's because of Gundy's you know, track record against Oklahoma, you know, not showing up in big-time Bedlam games. But, I mean, I, Adam, I was kind of surprised that Texas got the second-most votes in terms of uh, OU fans wanting to play them again in, in a rematch. If I'm if I'm Lincoln Riley, if I'm Alex Grinch, I don't want to see B. John Robinson again. I don't want to see Casey Thompson. Not with our secondary, whether we're healthy or not. I mean, B. John's the type of guy where he can change a game 
on any given snap. So give me the pokes uh, if we've got to play the same team twice. You guys have talked me into it. My initial thought was Baylor, um, and I have seen probably the least of Baylor out of out of any of those teams. So maybe that's why I was thinking that. But they, they've started to get some guys um, with Abram Smith being in the running back there. But um, you know Jerry Bohannon, I'm not sold on him, but I'm also not sold on Spencer Sanders either. He's proven that he can have a great game or a terrible game. So uh, I, the, I guess the aspect of, of Bedlam getting a rematch there in Arlington, that would be cool, um, you know, to have that particular game. But I don't want to do that two weeks in a row because you're probably going into Stillwater on the last week of the year, knowing that, hey, this is going to be a rematch regardless of the outcome. And I don't really want that. I, and I, I also don't want to have to then pick yourself back up again as the winner of potentially Bedlam in Stillwater and then go play in Arlington again and try to beat them two weeks in a row. That's really tough. Um, so um, I guess that's a, maybe one reason that I would favor Baylor a little bit. If this team is still at that, if, if they're undefeated heading into Stillwater, they should have zero reason or zero reason to not get up for those final two games. You have everything in front of you and it takes two weeks to get there. So we probably, again, I say it every week, but you know, we we'll probably have bigger questions if they can't find a way to get up for Oklahoma State back-to-back, if that means an undefeated regular season, undefeated Big 12 championship, and you lock yourself into the playoff. Got to prove mm-hmm. it time and again, though. We've seen OU come out in an OU-Texas scenario looking like they don't have motivation to be there, and that's the biggest game of the year. <laughs> so I'll have to see it to believe it, you know. but I, I agree with you 100%. Who do you and guys have the- this weekend, Oklahoma State or Iowa State? I'm actually – I'm – kind of on Iowa state and that's kind of the, you know, the, the one point I wanted to make when looking at the, you know, the entire landscape in terms of the big 12, I mean, people wrote Iowa state off after the fourth week of the season, starting out two and two losing to Iowa, losing to Baylor, but guys, they're two and one in conference right now. They've got Oklahoma state, Texas, and TCU all having to come through Ames. Yes, they do have the road trip to Oklahoma, but if Iowa state can figure out a way to knock off Oklahoma state this weekend, Brocktober, chances are it's going to shape up really, really nice for Iowa State down the stretch. I would say I'm leaning Iowa State simply because they have a great defense and Spencer Sanders doesn't inspire me enough to go in and win that game in Ames, even though he did it just in Austin. But that was a much different defense he was facing in that scenario. Um, but, you know, you, you, I guess with Iowa State, I just I don't have a whole lot of trust for them because they won so many games last year by one possession. And we know out of, you know, Baylor and Oklahoma State, they have the lowest recruiting rankings um, of any of those teams. So, yes, they're coached really well, but we know their talent pool is not nearly as as good to draw from. Well, I mean, if there's one thing that we know, Iowa State, they don't peak early. I mean, they play their best football towards the end of the season. That's a Matt Campbell, uh, Matt Campbell, you know, staple in terms of that football program that he's built up their name. So, um, you know, they had a bye week after the game against Kansas, and they came out and looked really, really good on the road in Manhattan, which we all know is a tough place to win. But they won by double digits over the Wildcats. So uh, it, it's a big one on Saturday. It, it would not surprise me if the winner of this game, this weekend in Ames, that's probably going to be your two seed uh, come Arlington. And that's how we felt about the game in Austin last weekend, right? Against Oklahoma State and Texas. We thought that whoever won that had a huge advantage. But, guys, you look down the stretch at, at Iowa State's schedule, I, I do think seven points is a lot against Oklahoma State. That feels like too many. Because um, Oklahoma State, I mean, they have just kept games close time and time again. Mm-hmm. But then you go at you at West Virginia and Morgantown. Obviously, that's going to be tough. But West Virginia is two and four at the moment. you got Texas at home, on the road in Lubbock, on the road in Norman, and then finish the year at home at TCU. Guys, I mean, outside of the game in Norman – 
that's a pretty favorable schedule. Couldn't draw it up much better. So look out for the Cyclones here down the stretch. Yeah. Looking at things from a national perspective, there's been a few upsets. Iowa took the loss last week. Another six other ranked teams lost. It seems like that's a weekly tradition now. And so, you know, as wild and as fun as this season has been and has as much as we've enjoyed seeing some of these lesser teams that have kind of risen up that aren't the usual suspects, it's now starting to get back in the territory that, okay, it looks like Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Oklahoma might be your playoff teams. Cincinnati might have something to say about that. Um, they're basically two SMU wins away from uh, from basically locking it up. It seems like there's so much momentum there. It might be hard to kick them out. But am I wrong on that? Or, or where do you guys see the playoff race shaping up? I I completely disagree on the Cincinnati factor. If you have if you have an undefeated Georgia that wins the SEC, if you have a Big 12 champion in Oklahoma, you have a one-loss Ohio State, and I guess the the reason why I, I let me let me back up here. If Alabama goes on there and and knocks off Georgia, which chances are Alabama might be favored in that game if if they win out. If you've got Alabama, Georgia, an undefeated Oklahoma, and it comes down to a one loss Ohio State versus undefeated Cincinnati, there is no way that the college football playoff committee. This is a money driven business. There's no way that they leave a one loss Ohio State out there in place of an undefeated Cincinnati. It's not going to happen. What if Georgia wins the SEC title and then Bama's out? Are they in? So if then that scenario, you'd have Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, State, and then Cincinnati? Yes. So if you're Cincinnati, you're a huge Bulldog fan. The only asterisk there is if Oregon goes and wins the Pac-12 championship. I I guess I'm not sold on Oregon at this point, even though they beat Ohio State. Uh, this is a more of a what have you done for me lately. They're not really going to have opportunities. Maybe beating Utah, I guess, in the Pac-12 championship game could be a decent win. But honestly, like no one cares about the Pac-12 anymore at this point. Everybody's got a loss. So I just don't see – I could see even a one-loss Ohio State making it in over a one-loss Oregon because Oregon just has not looked impressive. They don't aren't going to have any really quality wins, whereas Ohio State could rack up down the line Michigan, Michigan State, Penn mm-hmm. State, and in Iowa – when they could finish with a ton of ranked wins and have a much, you know, beefier resume um, down the line. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on Cincinnati, though, simply because I think, yes, it is a money-driven college football playoff, but we see some pretty wild decisions in college football and outside of college football and just the general world at this point where um, people make decisions based on what they think might be popular. And so it is very trendy right now to – say, hey, let's get a group of five school in there, especially a Cincinnati that has throttled pretty much everybody they've played. Now, they're not getting much help from Indiana, and they might not get a whole lot of help from Notre Dame, but they're, they're just absolutely destroying everybody, and they look really good in the process. So there's been so much hype around them, and they will probably start off so high, especially being undefeated. They may start off at number two or number one overall. Well, probably not unless Georgia loses, but maybe even number two overall. And – I don't know. That may be hard to to knock them out if they start that high. Adam, I don't disagree with your Ohio State pick, but I think one thing that is on my radar is, is the Big Ten actually that good? And one thing to add to Ohio State's upcoming schedule, all of a sudden Purdue's ranked at 25. So there's another ranked matchup they could have down the stretch if Purdue ends up playing well. But I'm not overly convinced the Big Ten's that good. I mean, you look at a Penn State right now, I understand that um, you know they're 5-1, and one, but their starting quarterback is going to be out for a while based on what I've been hearing. So 
I would imagine they rack up a couple of losses down the stretch. I think Michigan, are they fool's gold? Are we are we actually believing Michigan's good? So I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts. Is, is the Big Ten just a lot of brand name teams um, that are have good records so they're ranked high, or are these actually solid programs at the moment? You've got an undefeated Michigan State, undefeated Ohio State in, in conference play, a 3-0 Michigan, a 3-1 Iowa. I, I, I don't know if, if it's fool's gold, Corbin, but I think that the Big Ten has been a huge benefactor as a whole by their top echelon teams being able to feed on the lower teams like an 0-3 Indiana, 0-4 Rutgers, um, so on and so forth. So if there's one, I mean, we, we can talk about the fact that, yes, the Big Ten does have four, I think, of the top 12 teams in the AP poll, but also at the same time, too, the Big Ten is going to cannibalize itself. I mean, starting it here in just two weeks, Iowa at Wisconsin, Michigan at Michigan State, Penn State at Ohio State, you're going to see over the course of the next three to four weeks, the Big Ten is going to sort itself out. So I still think, however, Ohio State is far and away the best team in the Big Ten. So I would expect them to run the table. They certainly benefit from having a 14-team conference where their five best teams, the only matchup that they've had against each other is Iowa and Penn State at this point. Um, And so Mm -hmm. Big 12 should learn that lesson a long time ago and added a few more teams. But yeah, the Big Ten certainly looks good. And I think some of those teams will weed out as not being, you know, real, really actually good teams. I think Iowa was probably one of those teams where they had a, an incredible, amazing defense and an absolutely terrible offense. And that got exposed finally. Uh, Penn State looks like they have some injuries. I just don't, not a big buyer in them, really haven't been from the start. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State are the two interesting ones. Michigan State's a lot better on offense than they have been in previous years. Didn't look great against Indiana this past week, but um, they're getting into the bye week. They'll rest up and uh, they'll have a big one against Michigan State uh, on uh, October 30th. So, that one's going to be really interesting. Michigan looks much improved, but we've seen that story so many times that you know we got to see it to believe it first. One final thing on that for me, if you look at the three teams in both the bottom of the East and the West division of the Big Ten, their combined record is 4-18. and 18. So let's, yeah. I'm kind of tapping the brakes a little bit on believing in the Michigan State hype, the Michigan hype, um, Ohio State, you know, that's well-deserved as talented as their roster is. So um, – one of the great parts about college football is, you know, that you got to go out there and prove it on the field. So we're going to see the Big Ten sort itself out uh, as we move into the end of October and first part of November. You know, guys, one thing before we move on to uh, to beers and bets, we can't not talk about what happened in Knoxville last weekend. Uh, I don't know if you guys were able to get back to a TV screen by the time all this was happening, but my jaw was on the floor watching what took place um, with Ole Miss and uh, in Tennessee. So uh, if anybody didn't watch um, Ole Miss has got the ball late. You see, or Tennessee just scored, but Ole Miss has the ball with about a minute and a half to go. Um, I believe there was a bad call, and all of a sudden, trash and debris from all over the stadium starts flying onto the field. All of the Tennessee uh, cheerleaders, spirit band exits the field. Ole Miss comes off the sidelines. They stop, you know, basically getting hit in the head and stuff with uh, water bottles and mustard containers which i didn't know who i don't know who got a hold of that uh golf balls anything that could be thrown was being thrown on the field i thought it was an absolute disgrace to call it football uh just to be totally honest what i did find fascinating i actually saw it today was there was an Ole miss tennessee basketball game a few years back where Ole miss fans were actually throwing almost the equal amount of stuff onto the basketball court when Tennessee was in Oxford. So maybe this is an Ole Miss Tennessee thing that we're not aware of as outsiders from those programs, but guys would love your thoughts on just the craziness that was that game. 
Well, Corbin, we didn't get a chance to watch it live since we were at the OU game, but you put in the group text, I think it was crazy scene in Knoxville. So my first thought was, oh my God, you know, Tennessee is upset Ole Miss. And then go back and you get on Twitter and you start seeing the videos. I mean, stay classy, Knoxville. And I guess my biggest takeaway is who takes a golf ball into a football game? I mean, yes, the officiating was terrible, but what kind of fan base throws golf balls, beer cans, a mustard bottle, for God's sakes, at the officials and even at their own cheerleaders? So, I mean, stay classy, Knoxville. You summed it up perfectly. I know it's not the entire fan base. I mean, Tennessee, with the passion behind that fan base, they deserve a team that is really good and is really competitive. But on that stage in primetime football, the biggest game of the weekend in college football, and you do that, I know the hatred for Lane Kiffin is deep in in that stadium, but that's a terrible look. And I'm glad they got fined $250,000. I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm just glad that OU doesn't allow outside food or drinks in the stadium to you know prevent those mustard bottles from going on the field. Um, but but seriously, yeah, Tennessee fans they may have taken the crown from LSU fans as actually like the worst. There are some really bad fan bases out there, some annoying fan bases, um, but a lot of them really just do it behind their avatars and their usernames that don't show who they actually are. LSU fans are ones that do it to you in person, and Tennessee fans have kind of a similar reputation uh boiling up there especially you know from this and how they handled the greg shiano uh, potential hiring so not a great look um and i'm sure a lot of frustration from their fan base um they've been in the wilderness for a little while now um but throwing stuff on the field's not going to help that's really just going to hinder you what's crazy to me is the fact that you would probably assume tennessee is a very knowledgeable football fan base right like a, a historic program probably knows the rules that team had every opportunity before all this happened to get the football back. And turns out they got the football back and how there wasn't a delay game penalty or an unsportsmanlike penalty or a loss of a timeout for Tennessee in that scenario. I will never understand. I don't know how you don't punish a team for their home crowds antics, but Tennessee gets the ball back. They go down the field on Ole Miss. And the thing that made it just come full circle is Joe Milton running out of bounds on the final yeah. play that do you just he, like you give your team zero chance so tennessee fans you absolutely deserved what joe milton did to you on that final play i thought it was poetic to watch that happen because he took off and it was just like what are you doing and he just ran out of bounds with no time left it was awesome i didn't think anything would ever top trevor knight throwing the hail mary against tcu 10 yards out of bounds but but that one definitely did and adam you talked about (laughs) exactly exactly well adam you talked about a frustrated fan base you know one guy that's not frustrated is uh is ed orgeron who's going to be collecting a 17 million dollar buyout um here at the end of the season so i mean we we can save that topic for another day um, did you guys hear the weird stuff about that though yeah his uh his girlfriend's kids are uh potential future d1 athletes because they've been doing some drills so did you did you hear about him hitting on the 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 wife of a lsu administrator asking her if she wanted to go to the gym and work out and she said well i'm married and pregnant and he said so what does that mean yeah you tell any other girl you want to go work out that probably won't work out for you He's a big health lifestyle guy. That's yeah. all that was, clearly. So, I mean, guys, like the SEC is just different, and I'm so, so glad that we're part of it now. 
It's, it's going to be nuts. It just means Corbin, fun. wrap yep. us up. Be- beers yep, and bets. Let's do it, guys. Beers and bets heading into this week. Uh, Tyler, just coming out of nowhere with some consistent weeks. Uh, the only one of us who did not have a losing week. Tyler, 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Adam, myself, 2-3. Uh, two and three. Uh, proudly claiming right now that I am the only one with a winning record overall. I will take that to my grave. If we could stop now, I would. But let's hop right into it. Adam, uh, start us off here. What's your first pick of the week? Yeah, um, not back to Knoxville, but to Tuscaloosa, where Tennessee is taking on Bama. Uh, Bama's a 25-point favorite right now. I like Josh Heupel's offense. At least he's got some playmakers there. Um, I think that they can keep it within uh, those 25 points. It might still be a blowout, but I think they can uh, at least keep it close there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm 16, 22, and 2 overall in the year. Um, if I'm going to take positive in one thing, I am leading the group in the number of ties, the number of pushes and when it comes to this segment. So uh, well, let's see if we can build on that. But no, I'm staying the same game as you, Adam. Tennessee at Alabama. I'm going back to the basics here. Uh, Tennessee going to Tuscaloosa. In the last five meetings of this rivalry, Alabama has outscored Tennessee 235 to 68 winning by an average margin of 33 points. I expect that to continue on Saturday. Josh Hap- Josh Heupel, excuse me. Yes, he had success against Alabama when he coached Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl uh, nine years ago. I think this time it's going to look a whole lot different. So give me Alabama. I'm going first half covering this one. So give me the tie to cover 14 points in the first two quarters. Yeah, Tyler, your ribbon for I've won the tie column is on its way. So keep an eye out for that in the mail. Um, but yeah, I'm sticking right with it, guys. Um I think Mike Leach is a better offensive play caller than Josh Heupel. And this Alabama defense just absolutely shut down Mike Leach. So I've got Bama minus 25. I don't think this game is close. I think that loss woke Bama up and look out for them the rest of the way. So Bama minus 25 to start things off. Yeah, my number two, it did go down a lot. I liked it a little bit better at 65 and a half on the uh, under. But uh, Georgia Tech at Virginia, Virginia's got a really good offense. Um, so I don't love this pick, but... Sticking with my gut here and not trying to overthink things. So um, the under is not necessarily a sexy pick, um, but neither was I and my fiance gambled on me. So I'll go with uh, that one there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to the, I'm going to the big 10 in this one, Ohio state traveling to Bloomington to take on Tom Allen's Indiana squad. Um, Guys, Ohio state's offense is averaging 48 and a half points, which is second in the FBS out of 130 teams. And, you know, ever since the loss to Oregon back in week two, CJ Stroud has just been lighting it up on offense. So they're going up against a two and four Indiana team that is winless in the Big Ten, and their defense has given up over 400 yards uh, in total offense to opposing teams. So that spells disaster when you've got Travion Henderson, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson coming into Bloomington. So give me the Buckeyes to cover 20 in primetime on Saturday night. Yep, got the Buckeyes minus 20 as well. The uh, Ohio State defense for a number that big always just gives you a little bit of pause um, because they haven't necessarily been solid at any point this year. But I'm just going back to what we know, and that's good teams beat bad teams by a lot. And so I'm going to take Ohio State minus 20 in Bloomington. It's making making me nervous us having back-to-back equal picks. (laughs) I hate you know, we've been solid the past few weeks. That's been pretty, but we have been solid. So I feel better now than I did in like week two going with you. There you go. My number three, New Mexico State at Hawaii. This is actually the second time these two teams have played this year. Uh, the first game was actually in Las Cruces, and Hawaii won by 20 points. Um, so this one is a road game, um, which you would think maybe that would favor Hawaii, but I'm going with the knowledge, the old saying that it's hard to beat a team twice. 
um, or at least hard to be a team by 18 plus points twice. So I'm taking the Aggies to cover the 18. It's a bold move, Cotton, but I like it. They're they're kind of rolling right now. It seems like they've kind of found something on offense with Calzada uh, in that running game. But uh, uh, pick pick number three for me. I'm going Coastal Carolina, favored by five points. What what are you guys laughing at? <laughs> you confused uh, the New Mexico State Aggies for the Texas A&M Aggies, but uh, we'll let that one slide. So that explains the sixteen and twenty two and two record, I guess. Th- that's what I get for checking the Dodgers and Brave scores during the middle of your pick. So. <laughs> We'll uh, we'll move on for that, but no, I'm going Coastal Carolina traveling on the road to, to App State. Coastal Carolina is five and one against the spread, and guys, this is a huge showdown in the Sun Belt this weekend. Coastal Carolina has the top scoring offense in the FBS, over 48 points a game, and guys, the Mountaineers of App State are coming off a blowout loss at the hands of Louisiana. So this is kind of a tricky game. This number opened up, I think, around three and a half. It's climbed up to five. Five still seems like a low number to me, but. App State on a bounce back. Maybe Vegas knows something we don't, but I'm going to take the higher-powered offense in this one, so give me Coastal Carolina minus five. Yep, sound like a broken record here. I got Coastal um, minus five as well. That line seems too good to be true, and Vegas knows when something's too good to be true, it typically is. That gives me gives me some hesitation. I don't feel great about this, but um, Coastal's been great all year, as you mentioned, Tyler, against the spread, so I'm going to take the uh, Chanticleers minus five. Like you said, Corbin, 16, 22, and two. Bold move to ride my coattails this week. I know it. I should have gone first. <laughs> I, I'm blazing my own trail, and maybe that's to uh, a sub 500 record, but I'll do it on my own. Um, I've got Illinois plus 23 and a half at Penn State. Penn State's uh, without Sean Clifford, so they're starting some backups there. They're a little bit beat up. Um, so I, I don't love Illinois, but I don't love Penn State's ability to score enough points to run away with this one. Nice. I'm going uh, up South Bend, Indiana, USC and Notre Dame, one of the best rivalries in college football. Notre Dame, their last time out, the Irish needed to come back on the road against a struggling Virginia Tech team that just looked god-awful this past weekend in a loss. So, you know, even so, we we still saw some good things from the offensive line Notre Dame's last time out. Kyron Williams found success running the football. Jack Cohen, yes, he was benched, but he did come back out in the second half and led uh, Notre Dame to a comeback win. So both teams are coming off of a bye in this one. Rivalry games, you can kind of throw the records out the books. You know, we all know that from OU Texas. And six and a half kind of seems like a tricky number here, but I'm going to go with the Irish to cover in this one uh, against USC. It's nice to finally talk about a different game than you, Tyler. I'm actually going out to uh, Cincinnati at Navy. Anytime you play a, a service academy with the triple option, it always gives you a little bit of pause on a number this big. If Navy can string together a couple drives, that obviously makes me very nervous, but I'm still going to take Cincy minus 27 and a half. They've been really solid all year long. I don't think Navy is that good, but it's always tough going into a service academy and playing a triple option. So not overly confident, but give me the Bearcats minus 27 and a half. I had to suffer through watching Navy last week since I picked them and uh, they lost for me. So wish you better luck there um, than I had, but my last pick, NC State minus three at Miami. NC State has won every game that, that they've uh, won this year by more than three points. Miami doesn't have Derek King, so I like the Wolfpack to be able to go in there. Um, they're playing real hot right now, so I think they can win by by more than a field goal at the U. Nice. Wrap things up for me. I'm going out to the ACC, The uh, I guess the game of the year in the ACC up to date. Clemson traveling on the road to Pittsburgh. Who would have thought we'd be saying that? at the start of the season over under on this game's 48 points Pitt's offense is led by uh, quarterback Kenny Pickett. He's thrown 21 touchdowns to just one interception on the year. And guys, 
We all know how good Georgia's defense is, only giving up just over six yards a game or six points a game. Clemson's is number four in the country. They're allowing just 14.4 points a game, which um, they limited Georgia to 10 points. I think they held Boston College to only 13. So the Tigers, yes, they do have a struggling offense in this one. They've only scored 19 points or less in three out of the last four games. So I, I'm going to trust Clemson's defense to keep Pittsburgh down low, and then I don't. I still don't know what to expect from DJ in this one. So I'm going to take the under 48 uh, in Clemson going on the road to Pittsburgh. Hey guys, for my last pick, Adam, I'm stunned you didn't join me on this one. I mean, it's the Kansas pick. I hate the fact that I, this is, see, honestly, guys, this is my, my my least favorite week of the entire, entire college football season. For the past two or three years, almost every single week, I pick against Kansas. I hate it when OU's on the other side of it, but I'm going to do it anyway. OU last I saw was minus 39. That's a lot of points, but I genuinely think Kansas is that bad. If Iowa State can go and Texas Tech, I think beat them by more than 39 points. So, if OU goes out and does what they're supposed to do, this should be an easy victory. That spread should be covered easily. I don't I never like it when OU plays Kansas and taking this, but give me the Sooners minus 39, which leads us right into our final segment of the night, guys. Score predictions heading into this weekend. Uh, it feels like OU can probably pick the score on the offensive side of the ball. We'll see what happens on the defensive side of the ball. But, Adam, start with you. How do you have the final score going down in Lawrence? Yeah, I did not have OU covering the spread against Kansas because my score prediction is OU 55, Kansas 20. I just haven't seen enough from this defense. Um, they have a ton of injuries right now to give me a, a, you know, a ton of confidence that they're going to be able to hold up for an entire game and keep them under 20 points. And then offensively, um, we've seen this offense really sputter out sometimes in the red zone, whether that's with a holding call or an untimely sack or something like that that um, gives them a really long third down that you know aren't able to convert. So I think there will be a couple field goals here, but still OU winning big and comfortable. Yeah, Adam, I'm in agreement with you on OU's number. I've got Oklahoma winning 55 to 13 in this one. Offensively and defensively, if there's guys that are banged up or they're you're even worried about them giving it a go, rest them. It's Kansas. This should not be a competitive game whatsoever. OU should they were playing their third string guys um, in the back end of defense on Saturday. That should be good enough this weekend. Um, and guys, I want to see Bryson Washington, Joshua Eaton. Uh, and Latrell McCutcheon get some more snaps. Let's get them some more confidence. But I think that this is going to be the Marcus Major game. I don't want to see – if it was up to me, I don't want to see Kennedy Brooks take a snap at all. We don't need him to win this game. Let's get Marcus Major back out there, get him some reps. And um, like you said, pick your number, what OU wants to score. I've got them winning 55-13 to 13 in a game that I will be holding my breath the entire four hours, praying nobody gets hurt. Tyler, our interns uh, must have been the same as far as the notes we were given this week because I've got OU 56-13, so right in line with what you're talking about there. Guys, if you look at what Kansas has done the past, well, besides forever, but the past few weeks, I mean, they scored 14 against Texas Tech. They scored 7 against Iowa State. Guys, they scored 17 against South Dakota. If we give up more than 17 points to this Kansas team, it's not going to be good. Uh, that's just the end of the day of what it is. So that's why I got them right in line with you, Tyler. 56-13, it does give them the cover, just barely, but it does give them the cover. So, Tyler, anything else before we, uh, you close this out? No, all three of us predicting blowout wins for our Oklahoma up in Lawrence this weekend. And again, that's an 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, I think it's on ESPN. Uh, Robert Griffin uh, is actually going to be on the call for that one. But Mute. Mute. <laughs> there you go. Sync it up to the radio broadcast with Toby and Teddy. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight. As always, if you don't follow us already on Twitter, give us a follow at the Mainline Pod One. And if you've made it this far in the podcast, 
like, subscribe, give us a five-star review. Always enjoy interacting with you guys on social media. Um, our follower count, our interaction, it is constantly going up and up as we move further and further into this football season. But that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll be back next week to look ahead at OU Texas Tech and recap what should be a big t- uh, big win in, in Lawrence on Saturday. And that'll do, us, that'll do it for us tonight on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.